welcome to another episode of the STG podcast, where we speak about science, technology, gaming, and other stuff. And today we are here with Professor Venti Kujala, and we are going to speak about Arctic marine technology. And well, first of all, hello, and also Johan is here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, hi. And so first, maybe you want to introduce yourself and tell us what what you do and what is your research and maybe what is this. Arctic and what is marine technology? Yes, good morning. My side as well. Yes, I'm working in Marine Technology Research Group. It's part of the Mechanical Engineering Department in the School of Engineering in Aalto. Uh, marine technology is important for Finland. We, are, it's a, we have a booming industry actually at the moment. Maritime cluster, we call it. About 50,000 people are getting working on this area and it's, it's, it's increasing at the moment. And Finland is very famous on at least two topics. We are building the biggest cruise ships in the world, best and biggest, I think. <laughs> and we are also very good in icebreaking and ice, ice coding vessels. So we know Finland is famous on those. And then we have a big companies here also working in the maritime sector like Wärtsilä, APP, Rolls-Royce, New Kongsberg. So we have a very wide different kind of topics and, and that's why that's, it's, that's why marine, marine technology is important for Finland. And actually, Aalto is the only place in Finland where we educate master level naval architects. We call, we, call, we call our engineers naval architects, that's a historical name. Mm. Because we design, we, we make ship design. It's naval architect, it's a word, and that's what we educate. And the only place in Finland in, in master level, we have actual level, actual level teaching in, in, in Turku. And, uh, and of course, we want to make our own game changers in our area. So. This kind of a, uh, advanced vessels like cruise ships, icebreakers, they are very demanding. You have to understand physics, you have to understand waves, you have to understand ice, and you have to understand how the ship or structures in, in are, are behaving on, on very harsh environment. So we have, we have to understand environment. It's a floating, naval architects, we are also doing, always doing floating mm. production compared to civil engineering, they are making fixed. So it's always floating, and when it's floating, uh, there's a lot of different kind of physics and mechanics we have to understand. Mm, mm. So that, that's our education. We educate about 20, 30 students, very international nowadays. 50 are, uh, 30, 30 to 50% are international. So also, money technology is very international business. So we very international has been always 2000 years. Whenever your ship is sailing, it's <laughs> yeah, always international. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah always international, and that's our background. So. And uh, of course, we have also, uh, we also educate quite a number of doctoral students. And in our group, we have, let's say, four very important topics where we make research. Mm. We have this kind of superstructures, advanced structures like dry structures, high strength steels. Another one is hydrodynamics how to make the hull, how to optimize the hull, what is a propulsion system, and how the ship behaves in, in waves. And, uh, and then, third one is uh, Ship safety, especially we simulate the whole traffic system so that uh, we understand ship is one part of the money traffic system and we have to understand the whole system how it works. And fourth one is this Arctic money technology, where I have been working since 1977, so 42 years actually. Okay, <laughs> so a lot of knowledge on that. Yes, yes. And uh, I have, I'm, 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 I think I'm, myself is very famous on full scale measurement, so I have done. Also, full scale measurements, and we've been on board a vessel 
in the Baltic Sea, in Russian Arctic, and then Antarctica. So that's my own area I have been. I like to be on board the vessel and to see the real ice in different conditions. Mm. So we are doing that. Then we, have, then we are doing numerical modeling about ice failure. We have to understand ice as a material. It's actually the most complicated material in the world is ice because it's very close to melting temperature. It's, it will mm. melt about zero and ice temperature is minus one, minus two, so it's very close to melting and it's, it's very sensitive to temperature and mm. some other parameters. And then in this Arctic marine technology, the third important topic is, is, is laboratory measurement. So we have our own, auto, our own ice tank where we can make more scale testing. So to understand ice, we have to have numerical modeling, more scale testing and full scale data, and that's what we are doing. How do you uh, gather, you mentioned that you like to be on, on, on cruise ships when they, uh, I mean, have you been on cruise ships when they actually break ice? Cruise ships are not, not yet, oh, okay. they are, they are, the business is coming, now, now, now there's about 30 new cruise ships, Arctic cruising is coming, mm, okay. it, it has been not yet, but it's a lot of activity at the moment, so oh. I, I haven't been on a cruise ship, on, on, but I have been on, I have been on passenger vessel, but uh, I mean, uh, like research vessel, we have about 100 researchers, so oh, okay. they call it, it's a passenger vessel, but for special purpose passenger mm. vessel. How, how do you, what kind of data do you gather and how do you gather the data? I mean, or, I mean, if if you break ice, what's the, or yeah, yeah. We typically we put some shrinkages on the hull. So when we measure the hull, uh, the response, we mm. put some shrinkages on the hull, and then we have a computer board. So we are collecting signals. How the hull is 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 the hull deflection and hull stresses, and mm. when, when we know the, then we can calibrate the signals so we know ice load. So we measure ice load along the ship hull. We have a computer to because we take about one two hundred samples a second, so we have a lot of data gathering about what happens in, in the hull. And similarly, we can put shrinkages on the propulsion system, so we can measure how big heating is coming to propeller. Mm. We have hull design, that's one part, another one is propulsion design, that the propellers are strong enough in ice. So we can, we can measure this loading on the propulsion and hull. And then we have to understand ice, so we typically go on ice, and that we, we uh, the examples we, we crush the ice mm. <coughs> we cut the ice get it on board and then we crush it or bend it get ice ice compressive strength flexible strength and, and ice, ice properties and the third new topic is this kind of camera system that we have a visual we had had visual observation but nowadays we have a lot putting a lot of equipment camera system we have a stereo camera and other systems on board the, that we can monitor the ice conditions and this research vessel is this um, Finnish research vessel, yeah. or yeah, the, the one we at the moment we have uh, had a seven-year experience. It's a Finnish vessel built in Rauma, actually built in Finland to South Africa. So okay. because South Africa has a station in, in Antarctica, so South Africa goes every year from Cape Town to Antarctica and back. Oh. So three months, I have been one month on board, and my also this year one, one of my doctor students was four months on board. So we gather data from Cape Town to Antarctica and back, so three months. That's typical. And what Britain Finland did that well. Now we have seven year data, seven year data. And it's also in all the websites. There's a nice story my, my doctoral student had. I can actually bought it from all the website. Mm, that's nice so story. If I, yeah, if I want to go to Antarctica, I know what I have to say. Yes, yes. <laughs> if you want to go to Antarctica, yes. You can start. I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit late on changing studies <laughs> now, but. <laughs> yeah. 
Antarctica is a very interesting place. Yeah, it's a place I always wanted to go. Yes, yes. Yeah, maybe it's a topic for the different. Yeah, yeah. If you use computer, obviously everyone uses computers nowadays for everything, but before sort of having um, fast enough computers or portable enough computers, was there what kind of research was done? Was it the same kind of research, but it was done differently? Or, or for example, if you measure the uh, stress and then, you know, f forces against the hull, and if you measure them and now you store, store it digitally, what, was there different kind of methods or was the same method done differently or Computers came late 70s, so actually when the first computers, even 70, I think 79, I did first uh, installation. So computers has not changed much, but okay. storing of data, it was on tapes first. Mm -hmm. It's kind of monolith tapes, yeah. <laughs> lots of tapes. And uh, now we have, of course, computer storage, mass storage. So it's, uh, okay. The storing has been, but computers basically, of course, they are now faster and faster, that's good for us, but basically quite, uh, quite, quite similar. The new area is that we have we have used strain gauges, but now there's a high interest to make accelerometers to measure the uh, accelerations on the hull, so that maybe we can measure maybe the total force by that. It's more difficult for signal processing, but there's a lot of interest now to think about. We have strain gauges to measure stress, but maybe these accelerometers can be also very interesting if you motion motion measurements and simulate when we know motions can evaluate the total force as well, so that's the new area. That's and this, this means, because accelerometers do need much more signal processing, so the new computers are better in that, what must be not too slow. Yeah, mm. so, yeah I have this question, uh, maybe more like, very, really basic on how an uh, icebreaker works. Mm. Because maybe, I would say most of the people know what an icebreaker is, and yeah. they've seen it work, but how do, does the ship actually work? Yeah. Like if you have really, I guess the ice over there is really thick. Yes, and I, nowadays we can make vessels who can break 3 meter ice. In, oh, in, right. in the Baltic Sea typically they break about 1.5 meter. Russian Arctic can be 2 meter, 2.5. And all, actually all icebreakers work very similar way that they have a, call it boon, bow, boon shape, bow, it's like an egg. <laughs> so that when ice is, the ship is hitting ice, it has very wide bow and then it will bend the ice downwards. So mm -hmm. the ice goes under the vessel and it, it, it will use its mass and power so that it can break the ice by mass. Mm. Ah, yeah, not, not, not forcing, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. if you make pure crusting, that's very, very high energy. But yeah, okay. to, to bend it down and put it down under the, so the ice goes under the vessel and then comes out. Right. So it's just pressing the ice. Yeah, bending the ice down yeah, yeah, by, okay. by, by weight and by, by, by mass and by energy. So that was actually, energy, energy, energy. It was actually a very good question because I, I, I never had thought about this and I sort of, it's the obvious thing to think is that it goes forward and it breaks it because it goes forward. But, but this sounds so much better because you can, I mean, it takes so much less. You don't actually necessarily have to use any force because the earth already, you know, pulls yeah. the ship gravity. downwards. So, <laughs> yeah, so gravity, yeah. yeah. And the shape, the bow shape is very important. That has to be very flat and yeah. wide. That is uh, the, the uh, talent is to how to make the good ice breaking bow that it has to be wide and bend downwards. So that's probably then you why. You have to be worried about the ice pieces that they don't go to propulsion, so that, uh, uh, that they should come up before the propulsion. Uh, yeah, you have okay. to design them how so that they come up earlier. That, yes. is a, that is quite a lot of, <laughs> of Yes, course. these are important signs. Yeah. And this monoscale testing has been, because before monoscale testing, nobody really knew what happened, but we 
have the video now underwater. So in modern scale, maybe in full scale, but more difficult. But in especially modern scale, we have a very good camera system. We know exactly what happens below the water, and that is important mm. for design. And that is when, when we are doing modern scale testing, visual observations are very important. That it mm. behaves like that. All of this you do in your tank. Here we can do it in our tank. Yeah. And how big is the model? And Typically, we scale it. Uh, let's say one to twenty. So it means that. We have about 100 meter long when the model is 5 meters. So typically the model is about between 4 to 6 meters because it's too small, the scaling is too, too yeah, high, yeah. And it's too big, we can't handle it. So typically mm. the scaling law 1 to 20, 1 to 30. And the problem is that also ice has to be scaled. So we scale model, but we have to scale ice strength. And this is a challenge and ice thickness. It's linear scaling. So we have to make 20 times thinner ice. That's quite easy. Not easy, but easy. But how to scale the strength, this is a really... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I was just asking about this because my sort of intuition that is that the uh, properties of the ice, you know, change if it's very thin compared to if it's uh, very thick. Yeah. Some of those properties, yes. so... Yes, that is very biggest challenge to make ice tank just in this. Mm. And then, then if you have to, you have to have certain mass of the of the model vessel so that it actually can break the ice yeah. and then if the ice is if you want to have the sort of exact same uh, ratio between let's say air quotes between the vessel and the ice uh, they might not, not necessarily really match easily compared to the real situation so yes. of yeah. course that's why you need the all simulation model yes and full scale data full scale. important to have full scale data to really when we scale the results to full scale, we have to compare the full scale data. That's why we need the full scale data mm. to understand the scaling. So, so is the uh, model mostly used for for testing the shapes of the vessels? Yeah, most most important is the shape, so that we we have a design. So we test the shape, we test the thrust. It means that how much power. Typically, two parameters are important: to how shape and then how much power you need, how much, the engine power. So how many megawatts. So we test the resistance to calculate that the power power has been estimated right and that the right ends into the vessel. So high not too high but high enough. So do you use like small engines on the model vessels as well? Or? Yeah, we can we have two types of testing. We have uh, we call it towing test, we just tow it, measure the force, measure the resistance. But we can also have independent model, we have our own motor, own propulsion and independent testing. So that is like maneuvering. If you want to test in, in towing, we go straight. But if you want to test the maneuvering, we call it maneuvering circle. So we can make a circle and we measure the diameter circle, and that will indicate how good the vessel is in ice. Mm. That we can do independently or in ice tank. Oh, uh, icebreaker, they have been built for quite many years. Yeah. And how much did they really improve during? Because I don't know, but when I think about a boat, it's something that you don't think that it's mm. really so much different from before. Mm. Of course they are, but how much different yeah, do they get? In it's a very good question because it, uh, the first icebreakers were done, I think, in the, in the Great Lakes in USA, and the first Finnish first icebreaker in Finland came in 1877, so 40 years ago. So uh, actually. Some, even in, in very old icebreakers, they, they, based on practical experience, they found out that, that now we know we know nowadays that we can have a proportion in aft and, and in front. So it's because when we have proportion in front, it can also 
uh, improve icebreaking, it can, uh, it can propulsion can uh, push the ice away as well. So it's important to have a propulsion in, uh, in front as well and, and after. So we have typically two or three, we had uh, let's say up to four propulsion systems. You can have two aft, two in front. That has been a traditional one and now we have we call it Archimulti propulsion, that the propulsion can turn 360 degrees and it was invented in Finland as well, so okay. company, company ABP and, and Archibor. Uh, so, but in the very first icebreakers they had one fixed propulsion system in front and one fixed in, 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 in back, so, but uh, of course power was very small, power has been increased a lot, it was probably about 20, 30, 40, Let's say typical icebreaker is 20 megawatt and the first icebreakers were 1 megawatt, so yeah. much more power. And now at the Russia is now planning 120 megawatt icebreaker over break, I mean 3 or 4 meters. <laughs> there's, a much, there's a lot of traffic now in the Northern Sea roads, mm. we call it from Europe to, to far, far east and Russia. It goes along the Russian coast, so Russia has to invest icebreakers to, to make it happen. Mm. So is it like something also that you think the ice is thicker, you need a bigger boat yes. and more power. Is it, does it really work all? Like the bigger, the more power, the yes, better? Yes, the power is very important. Actually, yeah, the, actually the iceberg captains, they think, they, they are dating that power is the most important. Mm. As we as naval architects, <laughs> we think that the hull shape has some effect. <laughs> but iceberg captains like power. They, yeah. they want to have as much power as possible because it is important. Mm. It is important. You can brute force it. Yes, <laughs> it, is a, yeah, it is important. Uh, has it happened? I'm sure it has, but I, I don't know. And, and do you know what, what would... I mean, the question is, has an icebreaker gotten stuck on, somewhere in the middle of, of an ice field? And if, if yes, what can be done? I mean, do you need to send another icebreaker to... Or, or? Uh, no. We had that kind of a test. Um, typically, when we have this kind of four propulsion system, two aft, two in front, it has been a traditional also in Finland. We have this one, this one class vessels. But then in the 80s, they saved some money that they had. They put only two propulsion system in aft and some air bubbling in front. Mm. There was only two propulsion system. And this kind of vessel, when you go, because the, the big challenge in ice is this kind of rich ice. We call it when, when, when we have a level ice, but when we have wind. The ice is moving and it's making pile up, mm. big pile ups, we call it ridges. Mm. And icebreakers, typically cargo vessels don't go, to, they, go they can go through ridges only by behind an icebreaker, but icebreaker half has to go through this ridge. And it's, it can be, it's one meter above the water, but can be 10 meters below the water. So mm. it's big, big, because ice density is 0.9, also it means that 10% uh, above and 90% below, and mm. there's a lot of ice. And when a ship goes in that, so uh, especially this, Vessels had only two propulsion systems, so they were stuck actually sometimes. And the only way then is to wait for another icebreaker to help you, so. mm, okay. <laughs> or okay. wait for the spring or whatever. <laughs> the wind can change, but typically they, they have been stuck. These vessels they have, to, they have to be careful. You have to go very slow speed through this system that don't go too deep. So, so this also uh, is a good way to imagine why the icebreaker captains want power, mm, why yeah. they like power. Yeah. And, and you have four propulsion systems, so they, they can easily maneuver. They, they are never stuck. Ah, you can mm. move around and try yeah, to yeah, get away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw this video of this icebreaker almost turning yes, Polaris, into yeah. itself. Yeah. yeah, and in Polaris we have uh, actually two new Finnish um, design. We have three Atsimulti, one in front and two aft. So these three Atsimulti propulsion is the same as four uh, fixed propulsion. Okay. Mm. So it's 
Se polarisissa action very good, everybody is very happy about it. Captain on very happy about it, it works very well. Alright, you can go, go around it basically. It's, a, it's like a somehow small business because there are not that many countries mm. that yes. do that, but it's actually extremely important yeah. for... Yeah. Well, now in the Arctic routes, yes, yes. They, they are going to be really open. And, yeah. and this goes for like, uh, like bigger, uh, well, bigger or like normal ships. How much? Well, what is the limit when you need the icebreaker and when actually a ship can just go by themselves and open yeah. or the route is open and then they just yeah. go? And yeah, we have. It depends on the ice class. We have different ice classes for cargo vessels. Uh, the the lowest ice class, let's say the Baltic Sea ice classes are one are about one B, one C, one A, and one A super. And this kind of a Baltic ice class, one A super. It can easily break about half meter ice independently, mm-hmm. and after after about half meter ice, they need ice break all this stuff. But we also have polar classes, like we call it the uh, uh, polar. There's new polar code, and I think it's arc. Arc one is the highest. It can also cargo vessel can if it's arc one, it can break about two or three meter ice, so it can go on quite independently also mm-hmm. in the Russian Arctic. So. Right. They are very expensive because a lot of power, a lot of energy, yeah. but, but we have from Arc 1 to Arc 7, and, and Arc 7 is the same as this kind of a Baltic sea ice class, so it can break about half meter ice. So actually the, the design is that when the, when the ship owner knows where the cargo vessel will go, so they know the ice, maximum ice thickness and they can design the vessel to be there. But if we want to make independent navigation, it's very expensive, so typically Everybody waits to, to have icebreaker and stuff, but okay. it's getting more and more popular also to have very high, like this new cruise ships, uh, Arc 2, which means that even the passenger vessels can break about, they are like icebreakers actually, okay. mm. they can break two or three meter ice, mm. and this is very interesting, I was on a seminar last week actually in Turku, very interesting problem is coming because we have this kind of a cruise ship of 1000 people on board, it has its very high ice glass, so it's gonna go, it can go to two meter ice, mm. And if it's if something happens to the, it's stuck or something happens, mm. there's nobody to help because there's no icebreakers. Mm. You have to have a very good icebreaker to go to the same place. So it's a it will it will make a new problem for us how we can how we can save. If something happens on that vessel on very heavy ice, mm. nobody there's nobody to go. Only a helicopter can go there. So it's helicopter is the only way to survive people. Okay. Let's see. Let's yeah, see. yeah. That that sounds like sort of. Uh creating new problems because you're solving old problems and, 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 and I mean yeah yeah but then but then sort of I mean what you're actually doing is is, is making new things possible because yes. since this wasn't possible before then yeah. I mean, yeah, and this Arctic route is very 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 it's about 10,000 euro for one week <laughs> people want to pay a lot of money to, to see the ice to, mm. to see the real ice mm. icebergs and then heavy ice in the north and especially northern and, and south pole so it's it's getting I, I, I think about thirty new cruise ships at the moment under the under under design and construction of this Arctic cruising sites. Okay, it's, it's a big business. It's a getting big business yeah. now. Let's see. Yeah, I hope they found they found enough customers. Maybe <laughs> price prices coming down. I hope. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, coming down first, and then once there's enough, then you know yeah. you can rise it up. Yeah. 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 But so how is the then the hull of those ship design? Is it the same flat? Yeah, it is. It, you have to actually they, they make model scale testing and they, it's the same design as like icebreaker. Of course, it has to be passenger vessel. The problem is it has to also be good in waves because mm-hmm. icebreakers typically 
are very good in Iceland and they are very bad in waves because they are too, too stable. Mm. Yeah, they, it means that it's very typically icebreaker is like a duck. It's a very wide because it can it can tow so, so it's like a duck. It means that it's very wide and and and, and uh, low height. So it's it's too stable in waves. So it means that it's a very quick movements and it's mm. not nice to be on board because that's just a vessel mm. are moving too far. Mm. And passing the vessel it doesn't work, so they have to compromise it. It it can break some ice. Uh, make as good icebreaker as possible, but still also good in waves. But they so are very big, so yeah, they the, are big. Ma the mass is yes, much more. The mass is important, yeah. And, uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good design. Actually, Finland, Finland has done most of these designs for this, even though they're not all built in Finland as big cruise ships. But most of them are designed by, by Finland. We have a, another company in Finland, Alke Arctic, who is also have their own ice tank in, in Vosari. I think so. They have a bit different ice tank. We have we have a square. They have a long and narrow. And we cooperate together. So together we can have different kind of testing. But Arctic has done quite a lot of quite many of these designs. Uh, another sort of obvious question, which I don't know the answer to, is is how much is there a difference in the thickness of the hull in front of, uh, compared to the other, and how if, if there is overall how how thick uh, how how much metal is there in the in the hull. Does it have to be thick? Or yeah, it has to be thick. Yeah, bow, bow, bow is a bit stronger than other part because bow will break it. Mm. Um, bow, we, we divide in ice class rules. We divide it in trees. We have a bow area, a midship area, and after area. So they have a bit different designs. So bow is about twice thicker than midship. Mm. But typically, like Finnish icebreaker, it's 30 millimeter thick plates. That's 30 millimeter. Uh, then we have a uh, 400 meter is typically the spacing between the frames. So, and when we go higher, this polarized glasses, they can be higher than 30 millimeter, 30, 40, 50 millimeter thick plates. Mm. So, quite, quite heavy. Quite, quite heavy a lot stuff. Of metal. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you think about how big the sheep is, mm. this few centimeters look, looks like, yeah, it's a few centimeter on the 100 meter sheep, doesn't yeah. look mm. that much. Not much, mm. yeah. But, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's you actually, a lot if you compare it to a human, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like you're like this, uh, it's three yeah. centimeters, and then you see the, the sheep, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. 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 somebody has to different, uh, the, the egg, egg cover is uh, very similar. Mm. Comparing the egg thickness is the same. Oh, the yeah. Whole, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, if I remember correctly, I read on the webpage of, of, of your uh, research group, labs. Um, there's also studies about how, how I sort of catches on the vessels and how, yeah. how, how, I mean, what, what is, is this related more to uh, cargo vessels and, and passenger vessels that are going in, in cold waters or? Yeah. yeah, we have two problems when, because of the biggest challenge is when you're stuck in ice. Sometimes there's not icebreakers nearby mm. and then you go, you go in a bendy and then there's a high wind or something happens. So when you are stuck in ice, then you can only, the only thing you can do is to wait for icebreak. Mm. But then when ice is moving, because when you have a high wind, you are stuck in ice, so you can move with the ice to the ground. <laughs> Nothing you can do because you are stuck in ice, you go where the ice goes. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it can be a challenge that ice is, if the wind is towards the land, so it, can, it, it will push you to the land. Mm. Another one is that when you are stuck in ice, there's a high pressure on the hull, so it can cause very high damage, big damages on the ship hull, because the ship hull is not designed. Designed to break ice and to move in ice, but when you are stuck in ice, you can get very high compression, very high mm. pressure, and you can, it can, it can 
can uh, damage the hull. It has been happened even in Baltic Sea. And then the other one is, is we call it icing. That when we are when we have cold weather and waves, the waves are coming over the tip and the, the water will freeze on the deck. Mm. And you can have uh, even in easily even one meter thick icing, and it will be a problem for vessel stability. It, mm. it can be a problem. So that is we call it icing. And, and you have to mechanically take it out. A lot of work for the crew to take okay. it out mechanically. The only way is to mechanically keep it. Oh, okay, yeah. Or like, try to warm the deck, but... Yeah, I mean, if, if you don't need the deck, then then it can be shaped like a, like a triangle, so that yeah. the water sort of slides yeah. out, but then if you need the deck, it has to be yes. horizontal, so... Yeah. 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 We call it X, X, X shape. Oh, no, that's not the tip. It's covered. Well, uh, I don't know if we have some more about the ships, but it would be also interesting to touch a little bit on the, since the, all this marine technology is mostly ships, mm -hmm. but then that's not the only thing in ice. Like one of the new things that's coming out is the offshore wind. Yeah, offshore wind yeah. uh, and well, that, that's easy to imagine in warmer places, mm -hmm. but when you get ice on the sea, that present a lot more challenges. Yeah. So yeah, you also do research on. Yeah, we are doing. Uh, we are doing, and also some other uh, other solid mechanics group working on that. Uh, yeah, it's a good point because the this offshore wind is getting more and more more and more important. Other countries are even like Denmark has been very active on that, and Europe, Germany is very active. But now Finland is also slowly. Getting activity, and then of course we, we have uh, we have ice every every winter, so we have to think of we have to include the ice problem, mm. and we have two problems when we are making this uh, offshore wind that it has to be strong enough because ice is moving against the hull against the structure, so you have to make it strong enough that it can survive in in moving ice, and again the icing for the blade because mm. now again the windmill, the same problem icing is happening there that you have to design the blade so that it can. Can survive also that it can get some ice. Yeah. So, but uh, I think there are now lot of plans. I think they are going forward. I think Cori or Kokkola somewhere in that area. The first offshore park is coming. There, there's more to come. So it's it's as you know that the efficiency of because even ten years ago it was it was not efficient. I mean somehow it was too expensive. The, the offshore and wind energy was too expensive. But now they have optimized the big bigger 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 plates and mm. it's getting more and more efficient so and I think nowadays it, it's 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 a good future it's yeah. a good good way to make energy sometimes I when, when I go past the windmills they they are not um, the plates are not actually rotating so they, they maybe because there's not a wind over mm -hmm. and so on so I mean I imagine this to be a sort of big problem in uh, places where, where you can accumulate because then if it's moving uh, in, uh, intuitively, it doesn't seem that big of a problem for the blades because they're moving, so it's, it's constantly in motion. So the uh, water is splashing away, but when it's stable, it can sort of accrue, and it, it can, uh, depending on the how it's how the blades are sort of uh, stopped, it can create lots of imbalances. So, so is this like a yeah? yeah I mean, how how is this solved? It, it's never stopped, or uh, I mean. I'm not expert in, 
in that yeah, I don't know how to do it, but that's exactly the problem that mm. when it's uh, can you put some material that doesn't yeah. material selection I think can be important. Mm. Can you warm up? Because in that case warming a blade can be even possible that I don't know. I don't, I don't probably I'm, that might be yeah. one of the yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What else do you do? Like, yeah. Mm. yeah. And also, you cannot keep it spinning. Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have to decide: <laughs> do you yeah. use them to yeah. just yeah. rotate there? Or... Get some power by by rotating the motor, and then then when it, there's not enough wind, use the yeah. power to rotate. The... Yeah. So this becomes a very useful, <laughs> useful <laughs> energy source. Yes. 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 <coughs> and uh, the la last. Maybe part of the research is the research on the ice itself. Mm. So, what kind of research do you do on it, the ice? Actually, I have a two type of research at the moment. It's one is to understand the ice mechanical ice failure process. What, because ice crushing is very complicated. Uh, well, we don't have any good model. <laughs> ice breaking with bending failure that is that is more easy. But ice crushing, what happens when we are crushing the ice? What kind of pressure? It's very, we, we know that we have been measuring a lot, laboratory and full scale. We know that there are very high, we call it hot spots. Mm. When you crush ice, there are some very high pressure zones and then lower pressure zones. And we don't have any real good model how to do it. That is one important ice, me we call it ice mechanics, how, to, how the ice is failure. We have, we have nowadays, we have our own, another, we have ice tank of course, where we can do more skeletons, but we also have a cold room in 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 this academy uh, and now we are we also rented uh, one container one of my students is now on this container it's a we can put it minus 20 degrees and he is crushing ice yes yes i can show you that as well <laughs> and we, we can get either we can either we can, uh, we can either do the ice ourselves the real ice or we can get it from the in the winter time we can get it from this both ways we are doing it so i can so that is what we are trying to understand the ice failure process. But another important, we got just we just got the new money from Macarena Finland about to think about the model ice because that's another area how our model ice is behaving mm. because it has to be let's say twenty times weaker weaker than uh, and realized. So how to scale? We are thinking about some new ways to make us model ice. So. That is what we are researching, and so we have uh, get the new money to get to get the model from our model tank. So our ice tank is 20, 40, 40 meter times 40 meter, but we got the money to build two meter times six meter model model tank. Nice. And in that smaller scale, we can then test different kind of water. We mm. can put some chemical in the water, or we can make some other freezing process. So that's a new project starting. That's how to make future Yeah, mm. I was just thinking that it's probably uh, related to this crushing of ice and related to the how the pressure uh, inside the ice cubes um, yeah. builds up and where does it start from and so on. Usually this always involves some kind of uh, like, um, what do you call, like, um, well I mean fractures but, but um, now I'm forgetting the word. I will, I will say if I remember it, but anyway sort of this, the structure of the ice probably is really dependent on, first of all, how much salt is there, yeah. and then also how does it freeze, so does it like freeze and then melt and freeze yes. again and melt and yes. freeze again and yes. so on, or is it like a minus 40 for f five weeks straight, yeah. so this really 
I mean, everyone who has ever done uh, ice hole in the mm -hmm. ice knows that there's different uh, sort of kinds of yes, yeah. kinds of ice. So. Yeah, yes, yeah. And it's not raw material, so every, every ice mm -hmm. is different and every yeah. day is different. So it's exactly the, these are make very complicated. Mm -hmm. And it's a ice, it's a stochastic material. We have to understand statistically the, the, the too many different kind of properties, but there's only, not only one value. It's a stochastic. Mm -hmm. Impurities, impurities. Impurities, yeah. That was the word. And you know, in, in modern scale, we also, because to make ice weaker, we can put either salt to the water or actually in our case, we put alcohol. Mm. <laughs> because uh, salt is uh, like this Arctic in, is, is putting salt, but it, it is, uh, there's some corrosion problems because if you put the salt to the water, and it can have a corrosion on the pipes and on the trucks. Mm. But we found out. It is okay. Maybe alcohol is good. We, we get poor. We get about how many liters? Two thousand liter pure alcohol to the water, and then make it alcohol. When it's freezing, alcohol stays inside the ice and make it weaker. Mm, so that would be instead of the salt. Yeah, yeah. We, are, we are putting alcohol, and the only challenge is that alcohol is. Uh, so we have to buy new alcohol once a year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, that's, yeah, on the material side, ice, uh, it's a crystal. Oh. And what I imagine, like a sheet of ice in the sea, I imagine that that being a multi-crystal yeah. material, yes. like same as any yes. like yes. crystalline material. Yeah. But yeah. how much of a, like, I don't know, does it really behave like a crystal or what, what is the difference between the ice as a material compared to a normal? Yeah, we call, how we call it, we have this ice. Uh, Grain size. Grain size is a few millimeters. So okay. That's a grain. So ice failure is at the moment we believe that the failure goes between the grains. Yeah, so it's very similar to a so normal crystalline yeah. material. Yeah, mostly, yeah, exactly. It's just a, a bigger scale. Actually. Yes, yes. Now we have one of my doctor students is making try to uh, try to make uh, photos so that we can we can have, we can really see what happens between the grains because that's the type of feeling now that we have to understand the grain distribution mm. in ice, and the failure goes maybe between the grains. So that's what we are. One guy is now studying, and we yeah. and we measure it somehow. This is really interesting to me. The fact since well, I'm studying materials, mm. and that's I mean, multi-crystalline material yeah. is exactly what most yes. of what we do, oxides and all of this, and everything is on the micro nanoscale. Yes, and yes. ice is kind of very similar on a so much bigger scale, yeah. but still it's just water and ice, yeah, as you said at the beginning, that they are really near to each other. Yes. Like a, an oxide is there forever. Yes. It yes. doesn't really melt easily. Yes. <laughs> but the ice keeps changing and it's yeah. probably water in the ice also. Yeah. yeah so it's uh, some brain pockets, we call it brain. They freeze it, uh, some kind of, uh, yeah, inside. Okay. Ice. And also the fact that, uh, I don't know, it's known by everybody, but the fact that ice has different type of ice, mm. like this different like uh, structures and everything that you have the normal ice yeah. then you have if this is mostly high pressure or yeah. like very low temperature but you have like four or five i don't yeah. even know how many yeah. different type of ice yes and i guess i don't know how much you go to, to that side yeah, we, you also yeah we have to understand because when we design because at the moment uh, the design is based on partly on ex uh, experience and partly on, on, on understanding physics the long-term aim is that we can really evaluate the load in different ice conditions. I have done this full-scale data, it's important. We have lots of full-scale data. Now we, 
now we're going to link the data to different ice conditions. We have a, basically we have level ice, then we have uh, ice flows, then we have uh, ice flows, we have a concentration, how much ice, how much water. Mm. These are the most important parameters are thickness, flow size and concentration. And after that comes that the ice can be drafted, it can be enriched, and, and different ways to do it. I think somebody said to me that this kind of uh, Eskimos, they have about 50 types of different, how they call it, based on their experience, mm. they have 50 or 100 different kinds of ice, like based on Eskimo language. So. Yeah, <laughs> only the Finnish has very many. Yes, we have also. For snow, for snow, yeah. So it, it's very interesting, very fascinating, and actually maybe we should also cooperate with the material checks and selections. Yeah, I, I was thinking that this could be something mm. that yeah. they look very similar somehow. Yes, yes. And knowledge from one would go yeah. to the other yes. but mm. and then in a different completely different way somehow yeah. because then you have this liquid part that is really not in a metal yeah. or, or any material yeah in general well this uh well i would say we stayed in a quite a good timing if you have any other uh, well I have, I have a question but i think the more we talk the sort of deeper we go into the discussion that <laughs> yeah. maybe that should be a discussion for another time yeah yeah that's so uh this can this stay, stay more on the sort of high level yeah, and then yeah. on the surface level, on the part that you see on the iceberg. Yeah, on the ice surface. <laughs> that is the old, the, the bottom side. It's all the physics. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, uh, thanks a lot for joining us for mm -hmm. this. And thank you. Before we close, where can people find more information about your research and all yeah. this in if general? You, yeah, if you go to the website, you can find our contact information, and we are happy to go to Alto University uh, Department of Mechanical Engineering in the School of Engineering, so you can find our group. All right, I'm gonna link it, of yeah. course, in the yeah. podcast, and now it's uh, Johanna's time for a hashtag uh, for okay. this episode. Um, <laughs> what should be? Hashtag ice. Nah, <laughs> That's bit, too easy. Yeah, be a bit more creative. More more specific. Um, Different ice. <laughs> crystal ice? ice? Crystal ice? Okay, crystal ice. Let's crystal do it. Ice. Hashtag crystal ice. If you got this far into the podcast, Never happens, but go to Twitter at stg underscore podcast and hashtag crystallize. crystallize. <laughs> and so we know that someone got this one. And again, there is this friend of mine always sending me a message with this. Okay, let's see. So thanks again and thanks for getting this part. Have a nice morning, afternoon, evening, night, whenever you're listening. Bye bye. Have a nice afternoon. Bye bye. Yeah, yeah. soon. <laughs>